0: We're starting a new series today. Uh, We've covered this before, but there are certain aspects of this teaching that we'd love to cover this month. And uh, I also today wish to set a stage for next week's Sunday. Uh, As you know, uh, we haven't received communion for a very, very long time in the church here. So next week's Sunday, we will be receiving communion. And It will be slightly different in that we will go through certain principles before we receive communion so that you can have an understanding of what you are doing or what we will be doing. One of the challenges that is there for us as believers is that we can engage in all these practices, our own belief systems, our traditions, oftentimes without really understanding what we're doing and tradition oftentimes just gets passed down, and and people just do what they do because they saw somebody else doing it. It's important for us to truly understand why we do what we do. So we are going to talk about the blood covenant this month, and as we move along in the month, we will cover certain aspects of it, but today I want to Lay a foundation, remind you of some things you know, some things that you may not know. It's interesting in studying the blood covenant that it is one of the oldest known covenants in the human family. You know, when I studied this several years ago, it became very intriguing to me to note that all cultures in the world, just about, they have traces of blood covenant practices. And if you go back to their history uh, that dates back many, many generations, you'll find that many, many of the cultures and ethnicities in the world, the human family as such, has practiced this blood covenant.
1: So it's a covenant that is
0: the oldest known covenant in the human family. And you know that most of the different nations, cultures, and ethnicities participated in that ritual of the blood covenant. You see this in the traces of certain things that we do today that we may not think much about, and we may not know where they come from. For instance, in modern times, we, we uh, maybe not just modern times, but we are very used to the shaking of one another's hands. Oftentimes, you see, when, when contracts are signed, people shake hands. Where does that come from? Well, it's a practice that was engaged in, in blood covenant days, that when people entered into covenant, they would actually make an incision on their wrists, and those who are entering into covenant will clasp their hands such that their hands come together at the place where the incision is made, at their wrists, and they would, in a symbolic way, co-mingle their blood and mix their blood together. So they would have to clasp their hands like that. That's where the handshake comes from. Uh, the practice of wearing earrings. When people made covenants, they would wear a ring of some sort, whether on the ear, on the nose. And so they would buy a set of these uh, 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 ornaments, and and the blood covenant partners, one would take one, the other would take the other. So they would wear it on on their bodies. So you ladies and you guys, you wear earrings today, and we don't know where it comes from. Look at that person he wearing an earring or earrings, and
1: they don't know where it
0: comes from. Uh, we, have, we have other practices in the Bible of you know, tattoos are very popular these days, and, and everybody who wears a tattoo, except some of us. And maybe you have somebody who's sitting next to you having a tattoo. These tattoos they, they date back to when people had made this cut on their body. They would rub in, and I'm going to talk about that, that rub in ash in the place where the cut is made so that when it heals, there is a permanent mark on their body that they are in covenant with one another. The planting of trees, you know. It's a, it's a covenant practice whereby when trees are planted, when uh, a covenant was made, trees would be planted. You see it in the Bible when Abraham and an encounter with God and when he got up and spoke about God being a covenant-making God and he planted a tamarisk tree, when you call it upon Olam, Olam. And all these practices, it's, it's all covenant. And so I noticed when I studied the blood covenant that it really enriches your understanding of the Bible. And it brings God's word into a different level of appreciation. So you find this is important. So you see these traces that are there in many cultures of the world. So we're going to learn in this series I think how God in his wisdom has reached out into these practices that cut across all cultures in an attempt to try and introduce himself to us. So, you know, God is, is a great mathematician, even better than our mathematicians. He starts from the known to the unknown. So God reaches out into our cultures and in him, in him introducing himself to humanity, he uses blood covenant practices for human beings to understand who he is and embrace his fullness. All right? So this is very important. There were benefits. Er, 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 rather, what would be the benefits to us of studying the blood covenant? Number one, it will help us understand the interconnectedness of the Bible. Okay? The Bible is a progressive revelation. Say it with me. The Bible... The Bible... The Bible Let's do it again. Let's say it together. Look at your neighbor who doesn't want to say anything and say, neighbor, what's wrong with you? Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Let me hear you. One, two, three. The Bible. Yeah, so the Bible is a progressive revelation. So you'll, you'll note when you read the Bible that the Bible is like a movie. It unfolds. It starts from one to the other and it's progressive. So, All doctrines that we have in the Bible have their root and their beginning in the Old Testament, all right? So the things that we read about in the New Testament, even the expressions and certain practices have their root and their genesis in the Old Testament. So we can can put it this way. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament while the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. Okay, so then secondly, you will know that the Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, when, if, if you ever had a jigsaw puzzle, if you ever bought a jigsaw puzzle, it comes in a box or whatever container, but usually in a box. And on the lid of that box is the picture, you know, of that jigsaw puzzle, right? And when you open the box, you find the pieces, the independent individual pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. Now, if you want to, if you want to put that jigsaw puzzle together, correctly right and every place every piece be where it actually belongs you put the picture of the of the jigsaw puzzle on the one side and all the pieces on the other side and so you start assembling these pieces by looking at the completed picture of the jigsaw puzzle are you understanding so you know many people read the new testament and they they try to interpret what they read there by using one verse you see Whereas, they only have the one piece of the picture. It's not the entire picture. If you were to look at the entire picture, you would know where the piece belongs. You will know where the verse belongs. So, the reason people go into doctrinal error is because they're trying to interpret the New Testament from the New Testament. Can't do that. You, you, You know, I mean, there are scriptures that will align with one another, but a good part of the foundation and the actual pieces of the actual picture is in the Old Testament. So you will note as we read the, 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 the blood covenant that that is the case. Thirdly, when we study the blood covenant, it will help us to understand the language of the Bible and certain expressions that are used in the Bible. For instance, Genesis chapter 15. I'll give you homework. Go and read that. Uh, if I may ask. Lady, I said homework, Zach. Yes. And I'm just wondering because I never call on the, the homework to check if you've read it. So go and read Genesis 15. Genesis 15 is is written in covenant language. And this is why many people, when they read Genesis 15, they really get lost. Because just even the language that's used there is actually covenant language. From the sacrifices that were given to a point where Abraham's name gets changed to Abraham. You know? Because in in, in covenants, one of the things that happened in covenant is when we went into covenant, covenant with somebody, you took their name to show that you're in covenant. In marriage, you take somebody else's name because you're in covenant with one another. So Abram becomes Abraham. Now the ham is the ha, you know, the ha expression there, which is from the name of God, Yahweh. Okay, so he becomes Abraham. So, So that shows he's in covenant. But when you read that, Without understanding covenants, you don't understand why that happened. So that's taking on somebody's name. So when you read the Bible, you'll find that there are many practices in the Bible that are actually coded in covenant language. Number four. Are you you all on number four? Are you all on number four? Number four. A revelation of the blood covenant will help you understand the following things. Number one, it will help you understand the sacredness of covenant. Covenant is sacred. It's not to be played with. It's not to be entered into lightly. It's not to be done as an afterthought. Covenant is sacred. It's something that is set apart. Marriage is a covenant, by the way. All right? So marriage is sacred. You don't just jump into it after a, you know, a whole night, yeah, Oh uh, and next how to there's this person sleeping next to you you don't even know who they are, what happened the night before, and you ring morning mm-hmm. and you don't even remember doing anything you don't know where you are that's not sacred Tell your neighbor that's not sacred. Tell them oh wow, that's not sacred Tell them said,, that's not sacred that's not sacred all right, so You know, a covenant is sacred. Secondly, B, I said A, okay. So A, a covenant is sacred. B, you'll understand the permanence of a covenant. Right? So when covenant is made, it's meant to be permanent. In blood covenant practices, an assumption was made that when you made a covenant, it implicated your unborn children, your bloodline up till the seventh generation. So in other words, what you did here affects others. So when God says, you know, I will, I, will, I will chastise the children because of the wrongs of their parents, it's covenant language. It's covenant language because there's an understanding that what parents do affects their children and goes down the generation. So when you understand covenants, you'll understand how in this time and this world where everybody wants to be an individual, and everybody is fighting for their rights. As a person, I am me, I'm an individual. But you see, in, 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 in actual life and in, in the way God created things, it's almost impossible for your individual actions not to affect anybody else.
1: It's almost impossible.
0: Because as human beings, we are interconnected. Right? So when covenants were made, it, it lasted for seven generations. In fact, I remember the one book that I read, and I was shocked by this. They said, if you broke the covenant... They will hunt you down for seven generations and kill you. Yeah. Because that's how serious it was. mara on the other hand, was if you made covenant and you passed on, your seed would stand to benefit from that covenant up to a, a, a seven generations. I mean, the story of, of, of David and his son, a, a, a Mephibosheth. You know, uh, uh, I mean, a, a, a Saul and his grandson, Uh, Mephibosheth, you know, and David had made a covenant with Saul's child, you know, Jonathan. You remember the the story? You remember? So Jonathan was a good guy. He makes a covenant with David. But Saul, who is Jonathan's dad, is not a good man. He's trying to kill David and his entire family. All right? So the story goes that, uh, you know, as Mephibosheth is being raised by a caretaker, Unfortunately, the, 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 the helper didn't know what Jonathan and David had done. These two guys, privately on their own, made a covenant with each other, you know. And it uses the term, and I love it. It says, and, and David loved Jonathan like his own brother, and their souls were intertwined together. It's not just they loved each other. No, their souls were intertwined by covenant. I'll show you. So when you made a covenant, you became somebody's uh, uh, soul or blood brother. you know, And, and, and you became their soulmate. We use the word soulmate. That's where it comes from. Somebody tied to you by covenant. So David and Jonathan loved one another. And you can go and read it. They exchanged belts. They exchanged their coats. They cut a covenant with each other. And unfortunately, Jonathan died. And when he died... The, 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 the grandfather Saul died. And when that happened, happened on the same day, when that happened, the caretaker, the maid who was taking care of Jonathan, because of the stories he had heard, unfortunately they tried to poison her mind about David. You know, She was aware how David was mistreated by Saul. She was aware if David came into power, as it was those days when you came into power, you did ethnic cleansing. You killed everybody who was your enemy. Took everybody out. So her expectation was, if David comes into power, he's going to kill everybody in Saul's lineage. So when the message came that David and Jonathan had died, right, this maid took little Mephibosheth to run to safety. In the process, she tripped and fell, and Mephibosheth got an injury that resulted in him being paralyzed. All right? And... And they go to, to a desert place. And they are hiding there in this desert place. And every day Mephibosheth is thinking about probably, probably the king David will finally find out where I am. So David sets out to look for Saul's family. Those who don't know about the covenant Think that he is going on a revenge trip, little knowing that he is bound by covenant, no matter how he feels, he is bound by covenant to do what is right. Are you there, Bazalan? Are you there, Bazalan? Are you there, Bazalan? And so he sets out to go and look for Mephibosheth. And when you read the story, when he finally meets Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is so scared when he's brought before King David and I'm fast forwarding the story. He falls in front of David and says, I'm a dog. You've come here to kill me. And David says, "Oh, oh, 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 dog, where? Kill, where? I made a covenant with your dead. I am bound by covenant to come and do something good to you. Listen, Basalana, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he made a covenant with God on your behalf. Ah, oh, God doesn't treat you good because of you, He treats you good because of your brother, Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn among the dead. Can I hear a good amen? So the whole Bible, Basalana, is wrapped up in covenant language, covenant practice. And when you understand it, it's a blessing. So covenant is permanent. See, you learn how God is a covenant making God and a covenant keeping God. And I can tell you if you can understand this about God, you will know how to pray prayers that work. You will know how to stand in faith. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You will not be discouraged when situations go this way and that way because a a covenant is not affected by circumstances. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Circumstances come and go, but covenant stand forever. That is why Jesus said, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but, but my word will stand forever. Why? Because God's word is God's covenant. God is not ruled by circumstances. God is ruled by his covenant. That's why when God wanted to kill the children of Israel, and they had done so much wrong, and God was angry with them, and God was in a mode to kill them, Moses stands before a God who is angry. And he uses language that you don't use even when God is in a good mood. But what gives this guy the guts to talk to God in that tone of voice? Of course, in a respectful way. But he says to God, how can you, the creator of heaven and earth, kill your people? Remember your covenant with with your children. Remember what you said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Bible says, and God turned around. In other words, God said, no matter how I feel, I can never violate covenant. God is a covenant-making God. And when you understand that God is a covenant-making God, you'll familiarize yourself with the covenant. You'll base your prayers on the covenant. You'll base your life on the covenant. And you will know why you must hold on to the covenant because God is not a man to lie. God is not the son of man to change his mind. Oh, can I hear a good amen? Whatever God says, he will do. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on where you come from. It's not based on how many years you've been a Christian. It's not based on how nice your prayer is. It's based on the covenant that God has made. God says, I have exalted my word even above my own name. All based on covenant. All based on covenant. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Can I hear a good amen in the house? Hallelujah. All right. Number five, when we learn about the blood covenant, it will strengthen your faith as you understand that the word of God is simply a covenant that God has made with mankind. Now, let's define the word covenant. The first time this word covenant is used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6. God is speaking to Noah, and he says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. Very interesting. Very interesting. The word covenant here, We see it when we first encounter Genesis 6. And it's interesting that in Genesis 6, remember the law of first mention? How many of you know remember the law of first mention? Can I see your hands? How many of you remember the law of first mention? You don't know the law of first mention? You don't know the law of first mention? At least you are being honest, my girl. The ones around you, you are are being honest. So I'm going to stand here and explain it only to you. I'm going to leave all these people. Yeah. Here's the law of first mention. All right. Anytime anything is mentioned in the Bible for the first time, take note. All right. Because what is happening in that instance sets a precedence for what follows and becomes a pattern for what follows, all right? So anytime something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, or it's happening for the first time in the Bible, read closely, listen carefully to the language, watch closely to what happens. Are you there, nah? I'm just oversimplifying it. So that is the law of first mention. So it means when something appears or is mentioned for the first time, that becomes a pattern, right, already. So the first time God makes a covenant with human beings... It is with the intention of protecting them. Write it down. That's important. It's with the intention of saving them. It's with the intention of redeeming them to himself. So first time God appears, he is in the saving business, the redeeming business, the protecting business. So God, that's, that's very important. And very interesting, there are several things that happen there. So in covenant... We know that it can be two people making a covenant or more than two people coming together and committing to one another to do something special. So God tells Noah, there's a flood coming, right? You build an ark, go in there. I will take care of you and your family. So he makes a covenant. So he says, I am making a covenant. And that word covenant there in the Hebrew is the word berith. Berith. It's spelled B E R I Y T H. B E R I Y T H is pronounced Berith. And that word, listen carefully, it gives the sense of cutting or a cutting that causes blood to flow. Because in every covenant made, there would be a cutting with blood flowing. Okay? So God is cutting a covenant with Noah. That word means a compact because it's a compact which is made by passing between two pieces of flesh. Just write it down. It might not make sense now. It will make sense later. A cutting, a compact, because it's made by passing between two pieces of flesh. In blunt covenant practice, when people entered into covenant, they would take an animal, right, kill the animal, split it right in the middle. Where do we see the splitting of this animal in the middle happen? Well, so, so you can see, as I said, you can see traces of the blood covenant in many practices that are there. So the one family, and I see the couple, I'm sure you did that too, ne? Then the one family, did you do that for it? I hope I work in a man go for it. Did, you do, did you do everything properly? Did, did he do everything properly, my God? Did, did he do everything properly? Okay, more bishop. Anyhow, so, so the, the one family gets the one piece, the one family gets the other piece. This is not just a, a, a what you call it, it's a covenant practice. So they would take an animal, split it in the middle. However, they would take the two pieces and place them opposite each other. Right? and they would walk between the two pieces which had blood between them. They would walk what they call the blooded path. Walk on the blood between the two pieces. The two covenant partners would stand first of all with their backs to each other, walk away from each other between the two pieces in the shape of an eight until they come back facing each other. The shape of an eight is because eight is the number of permanence in the Bible. And the reason they walk on the blood, because it takes blood to make covenant. And as they walk between the two pieces, they would be speaking words, what we call blessings and curses. And you read in Deuteronomy 28, God says, if you obey my word, these are the blessings that will follow you. But if you don't obey, these are the curses. That is covenant language. Well, you have it today when you sign contracts. At the back of the page, you say terms and conditions apply. It's exactly covenant. It's it's exactly covenant because every covenant has got terms and conditions. If you keep to the conditions, then you get blessings. But if you violate the condition, watch this, they would say, may it happen to you as has happened to this animal. May you be killed like this alright, may your blood flow because blood is not a symbol of death but a symbol of life you lay your life down for the covenant and you walk through the blooded path when Jesus Christ was going to make covenant between himself and God on our behalf to redeem us, to buy us to protect us to save us on that fateful night as he stood before the Sanhedrin blood began to flow they scratched him 39 times, scourged his body with a Roman whip that had nails tied to the end of that leather strap. And as they scourged him and the nails dug into his body, the Roman soldier would pull that whip off, ripping off pieces of his flesh. Brutal as it was, blood had to flow. They took a crown of thorns and pushed it into his head and blood began to flow. And Jesus in his blooded conditions with blood dripping down him, they put a cross on him and he began to walk and walk the blooded path to the mountain called called Golgotha, a mountain that was outside the city, a place of the skull, a place of those who were to be cursed. But blood has flown because he is cutting a covenant between himself and God. It's not a covenant for him to his benefit. It's a covenant for you as he walks the blooded path. And there he comes to the cross and they put him on the cross and they push him on the cross and they nail him to the cross and blood begins to flow. Then blood flows because Jesus Christ is buying your salvation and buying my salvation. And he walks the blooded path. All covenant. All covenant. So your salvation is signed and sealed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not the blood of bulls and goats. It is the precious blood. Why is it the precious blood? Because the blood of Christ was different to our blood. The blood of Christ was the same as the blood of Adam and Eve who had been created by God sinless in the garden of Eden. But when they sinned, their blood got corrupted. And God said, it took a man whose blood was not corrupted to bring man down i've got to have another man whose blood is not corrupted who is going to pray for the redemption of the humanity and the human race and so jesus when he was conceived a man was not involved god sends an angel that Mary and announces Hail thou art blessed among women thou shalt conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus and Mary asks how shall it be Since I do not know a man and the angel says the power of the most high will come upon you and the Holy Spirit will abide on you and sit on you and you will conceive a holy thing in your womb and call his name Jesus. And so Jesus is born with the blood of God flowing in his veins. The blood that is better than the blood of bulls and goats. And that blood was meant to purchase our salvation. Our salvation didn't come cheap. It came by the blood of Jesus. And the blood flowed on the cross. The precious blood. The precious blood. The precious blood. blood. The precious blood. The precious blood. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Ma What we see when no he's my redeemer. Give my redeemer, my covenant brother, Maria. So, oh Jesus. You know what that water was? The water that came out of his side. The water that came out of his side. See, when God made woman, God reached into the side of Adam and pulled out of his side a woman. And Paul talks about that later talks about how Jesus laid down his life so that he might cleanse and wash the church through the washing of the water of the Word. The bride that came out of his side, Jesus is to be washed by the washing of the water of the Word. Your salvation is not cheap. I said your salvation is not cheap. I said your salvation is not cheap. I said your salvation is not cheap No, you were, you, you were not Purchased with the blood of bulls and goats You are not even purchased through silver And gold, you were purchased Through the precious blood of Jesus And because it's a covenant, your salvation Is permanent, your salvation Has a bombay. Your salvation is not something that's going to end tomorrow Your salvation is permanent And if you can know what belongs To you, child of God you can walk into the fullness of that salvation see we sing these songs and i don't know if people who compose them understand what it means but today we understand what it means will you sing it one more time will you sing it everybody sing it everybody sing it all the time And give the Lord a big You may be seated. Jesus. Let me close. Why did people enter into covenant? Number one, they entered into covenant because they wanted to enter a relationship. History shows us when you read about blood covenant that if you wanted somebody to become your brother, even if they were not related to you through blood, they could become your brother, your blood brother. They could become a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So people will enter into covenant and once you entered into covenant with somebody then you could call them your brother. We read something in the book of Genesis where it talks about the Bible saying and Abraham became a friend of God. It's not because he was friendly. He became a friend of God as a result of covenant. So when you cut covenant, you became a friend, you became a brother. So people would say, I want that one to be my brother. I want that one to be my friend. So they would cut a covenant. This is where the term soulmate comes from. And they would say their soul and your soul have been intertwined. And so when you read about David and Jonathan, it says, and David loved Jonathan. That word loved, when you read it properly, it has has covenant implications. It says, and their souls were knit together. They made covenant. So you could come into covenant because you wanted relationships. Number two, people entered into covenant because they wanted protection. Back then, you know that nations used to besiege one another. It's still the same anyhow today. And you'd have nations that are nations of warriors. They had great armies good armies, but you'd find that these nations, even if they have a great army, they don't have good farmers. So they are strong, but they are hungry. And then you'd find a nation that has good farmers. They've got plenty of food, Mara, they don't know how to defend themselves. So the kings of these nations would be clever and say, Hey, why don't we make a blood covenant? And the two kings would enter into covenant or you could send people to go in proxy for you. And when they entered into covenant, there would be an exchange. We'll talk about those things as we go along. But in this ceremony that happened, there would be several things that happened. But once they got into covenant, then the king who doesn't have a great army would not be afraid. This is what God says to Abraham. He says, those who curse you, I will curse them. <laughs> In other words, because you are my covenant partner. In the same way, God, Yeah, when Paul went out persecuting Christians and killing Christians, Jesus couldn't hold it himself back. He couldn't stand it. He said, I've got to have an appointment with this guy. And as Saul, whom we know as Paul, was on his way to Damascus to go and kill more Christians, the Bible says lightning struck him and he saw Jesus. And listen what Jesus says to him. He says, Soul, Saul, Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me?" He's not saying, "Why do you persecute the Christians?" He says, "Why do you persecute me? Because these people are my covenant people. These are the people who belong to me. How Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Be be careful. So God is in covenant with you. And anyone who touches you, God takes it personal. Ah, somebody give the Lord a big hand. That's why God wants you to forgive your brother. That's why God doesn't want you to be in unfor- unforgiveness towards your brother and your sister. That's why God doesn't want you to be to your brother and your sister. That's why God, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. Because if you don't forgive the others, God says you are cutting off the T's and C's. You are trespassing on the T's and C's, and there's no way I can fulfill. It's all covenant talk. It's all covenant talk. And when you understand it, then you understand God is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. Somebody give the Lord a shout in the house. Thirdly, people entered into covenant because they wanted trust. Because this covenant, as we've mentioned, by design... It was meant to be upheld up to seven generations. And if I may say, Bazalada, this is the context in which God designed marriage. It's meant to be based on trust. Meaning, therefore, people don't just shake up, fat and set. People don't just jump into this. They have to have a, some way to show that they're entering into co- covenant. As a result, they can expect trust. You know, people don't do, they don't marry. And then when one becomes unfaithful, they say, ah, you are unfaithful. Faithful to what? Look at your neighbor and say, why was that sick? Faithful to what? But sometimes it's almost like when you go into a shop to test drive a car, you take a Lamborghini, you drive it. You don't have an obligation to buy it. You're taking it for a test drive. And sometimes you can test drive a Lamborghini then end up buying a Toyota, you know. Look at it and say, why are you not laughing again? Yeah. But you see, but in the same way, those who enter into marriage... It's meant to be a covenant that you're not going to break. Yeah. So once you marry, we're going to ask you questions. When you start cheating and giving attention to others, we're going to ask you, when your money now starts going to someone else, we're going to ask you, how yeah. but it's meant to be trust. Covenant becomes the basis for trust. That is why when you read the Bible, this is what I like. If you really study how God started interacting with Abram. See, Abram was not a Jew. Abram was not a Jew. He wasn't Hebrew. Didn't come from Israel. He wasn't from the Israelite nation. He came from South Iraq. He was Iraqi. And he came from a culture wherein they prayed to the moon God. Not to Jehovah God. And so God in approaching Abraham, Abram at the time, had to coax Abram into trusting him. And so God reaches into the culture that Abram was familiar with, the culture of blood covenant. And God starts using covenant talk and covenant language and covenant rituals. See, when God told Abram, go and sacrifice your child, you know, many of us say, who? No, Abram was used to that. In that culture, they used to sacrifice their children to a God to show how serious they are in their commitment. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it was easy for him to take a, you realize Abraham was old when he took Isaac his son. And you don't there's nowhere on the on the way where Isaac fought back. When you read it, it almost gives that expression that even when he told his son to lie down as an offering, he's he lay there willingly. They understood. But you see, this is the goodness of God. God wanted that to be done in a symbolic way. Why? He was setting a precedent that if my covenant partner can give his son for me, I will also give my son. Ah, you're not understanding. You see, it's all covered in covenant language. Because God is saying, what my partner was willing and I love the way he does it oh I love the way he does it the symbolism of it is unbelievable watch this president. as Abram is going up Mount Moriah with his son on the other side of the mountain there's a lamp oh come on that is going out the mountain and the lamp is a symbol of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That is provided by God. So already God was already setting up the the, the conditions there for what He wants to do. It's incredible. I tell you, when you read about, I say, sometimes I just see that thing, wow. I think, wow, we're actually talking to Dr. Talk bogota I don't think I can say that the way he we said it. He was actually telling me something during the break that when they trace, when they trace your genealogy and uh, your, 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 what do you call it? Your ancestry. It's, it's done through the woman and not through the man. I never knew. Did you, did you know that, my brother? I didn't know. Have you, have you, have you traced your ancestry too? You don't know, ne? Yeah, you may be Jewish, who knows, my brother? And so he tells me, he says, it's because, maybe you must say it. You want him to say it, ne? Yes. He's a doctor. You give him a mic. You must come Come say it. Come say it, doc. You must. I, I told him I'm going to study it, but I still I haven't, I haven't memorized the, the wedding. You come, you're a doctor. They, then they will take you to court if you don't say anything that's correct. So you come, <laughs> come. Just explain that to them. This was amazing. This was amazing. This is Dr. Mbogota. He's a member of our church, Barcelona. He serves in our church. It's a good man.
1: Yes. Um, these, inside a cell, there's two types of um, DNA. There's DNA in the mitochondria. The mitochondrium okay. sits...
0: <laughs>
1: the mitochondrium sits inside the cell, and it's the one that provides energy. Now, the mitochondrium in the sperm is in the tail and so when fertilization occurs only the head goes into the egg of the woman so that mitochondrium gets lost so your ancestry therefore is traced because that mitochondrial dna is the one that doesn't get corrupted so over the years we can trace they can trace your origin as far back as possible through your mother's lineage, not through your father's lineage. So, so that's, that's, that's really the, the background to it. And that's the reason why in many cultures they will insist that a king who is a queen or somebody who's to be married to give birth to a king needs to come from a royal family just to protect that mitochondrial DNA.
0: Oh... Thanks, God. You know what I was saying to Dr. Bogota when he told me that? I said to him, it's amazing when you read the Bible and you see the wisdom of God that even without science being this advanced, God knew all about it. In the case of Jesus Christ, it was the seed of the woman. The uncorrupted seed of the woman that broke. Oh, come on, give the Lord a shot in the house. Hey. And I was saying to him, the more I read the Bible and the more I hear scientific data and whatever, is the more I realize I, God's word is sovereign. And we must hold on to it. Can I hear the word? Let's give the Lord a big hand of praise, Bazala. Thank you, Doc. Finally, people enter into covenant because they wanted love. They wanted love. So, when people entered into covenant, it guaranteed faithfulness, loyalty, dependability. That's why the Bible you have is called Old Testament, New Testament. The word testament is the word for covenant. Bible you have, it's a It's simply the covenant God has made with you. Problem is we don't familiarize ourselves with it. In the same way we don't read the T's and C's on contracts. So we don't know how to leverage the benefit of that covenant. But if you're to familiarize yourself with God's word, that's why God says he's not going to break his word. He says it. He says God is not a man to lie. He's not the son of man to change his mind. Hath he said, shall he not do? Has he promised, shall he not bring it to pass? So he says, as as the rain comes down from heaven and doesn't go back without having fulfilled anything, so shall my word be. It shall not return unto me void. But it will prosper in everything that I have sent it. Once you understand that, I'm telling you, you don't have to struggle with your faith level. Because you know this is a covenant that was cut by God. Let me give you this last illustration to show you the strength of God's word and the strength of the covenant. You remember the two pieces I was talking about? Two human beings walking between the pieces. God told a- Abraham to do that. So Abraham wakes up and he's going to make a covenant. He understands. He gets an animal, cuts it in the middle, puts the pieces together, stands there waits for God to come. And as he's waiting for God, he falls into a deep sleep. And the Bible says a dark cloud came on him and he is dazed and he can't move. But in this dazed condition, he sees. A light and a cloud walking between the two pieces. The cloud representing God the Father, the light representing Jesus the light. And the two are walking between the two pieces. It's a covenant that is not cut between man and God, but it's between God and God. Why? Why? Because what God is going to say in this covenant sets a precedence on how God is going to deal with the human race for eternity. And so God decides, I don't want a man who is not loyal, who is not faithful, who is up to fail, a man who has frailty and weakness when I cut this covenant. I don't want someone, on they may make a mistake, I will enter into covenant by myself. Ah. And God begins to walk between the two pieces. God and God making a covenant. Because the covenant that you have in your hand, that word of God that you have in your hand, it's a blood covenant that was cut between God and God. And none of them is going to fail. And So you can rely on the word of God. Because it will stand forever. It's only later when Abraham came out of that dazed form and some sometime later, God said, all right, now you can circumcise. I will let you in on the covenant. Tomorrow, the first one, it was between God and God. And I was standing in proxy for you. God loved us so much, Basilona, and tied himself to us and made his covenant to us. That's why God cannot be able to not respond to us when we make a demand on that covenant. There's no way God can turn his back on us when we come to him on the basis of the covenant. And so, the word that you have in your hand is what can sustain your life in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a big hand of praise today. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Evangelion. E la cuda SIKULULA la sicculula Conesonwe ni vivan E la cuda E la sicculula Hela sikulu konzo nweni hivam hela kutar Get your Bible in your hand and make the devil nervous. us. Hallelujah Remain standing please. Remain standing please Jesus said Heaven and earth will pass away But my word Will remain forever It's a covenant Signed and sealed In the blood of God Made between God and God That's why when Jesus gave The disciples communion He says this blood is the blood of the new covenant Cut in my blood Drink it all of you in remembrance of me. I'm going to show you next week the power of that. But as we are standing today, I ask people, you know, this day we stand before God? God's going to ask you a question What did you do with the blood of my son Jesus? The blood that flowed for you, for your redemption for salvation, for the change of your life. See, when the blood of Jesus flowed on the cross, it was buying us, redeeming us from our sin. God was extending a hand, a hand of mercy, a hand of love, a hand of compassion. Because God knows you and I, we can't help ourselves. We don't have enough power and enough strength to help ourselves. God did that. And reach out to you. And if you are here and you have not received Christ as Savior and Lord, today I present to you Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, who died on the cross and bled on the cross for your sins. The Bible says if you will believe on Him, if you will invite Him into your heart to be your Savior and your Lord, He'll come into your life. He'll forgive you of all your wrongs and all your sins. He'll transform you and give you a new start and make you a child of God as we all remain standing can you bow our heads please and close our eyes if you don't mind I want to ask you where you are standing if you say bishop please I want to invite Christ in my life my life is not right before God but with what I've heard today I really want to invite Christ to come into my life and be the savior and lord of my life would you pray for me please bishop Yes, I'd like to pray for you. If that is you and you need the prayer and you need God's forgiveness, would you just indicate by just raising your hand right where you are? Just raise it high. Let me see. Just raise it high. Let me see that hand. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Jesus Christ, blood that flowed for you. Blood that flowed for you. I want to pray for you because this is an important, important decision. I want to pray for you. Those of you who raised your hands, I want to pray for you. Would you please just come from where you're standing, take all your belongings, your Bible, your bag, your purse, don't leave any of your belongings behind. And we'll just walk to the front, the ushers will show you. Just come to the front, I want to pray for you. Give them a big hand. Give them a big hand as they come. Come stand here, facing me, please. Thank you. Give them a big hand, Barcelona, as they will.